You're listening, you're listening to, you're listening to Not Your Average Culture, a podcast geared towards promoting less consuming and more doing, where I discuss topics related to dating, lifestyle, creatives, and entrepreneurship. This podcast will challenge you to open up your mind, think about things differently, and ask yourself, am I doing it for the culture or doing it for myself? I'm your host, Chardonnay. Let's get to it. My biggest regret of my early 20s is that I said no a lot and did not invest into my relationships as much as I should have. And I always like to share that with people because I think, especially financial experts, will kind of fixate on like set your boundaries. Money is the most important thing. Protect yourself. Put on your financial oxygen mask first. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) All valid. I say some of that. But on the flip side, relationships are really important too. You have to invest into them platonic, romantic, family. It doesn't matter what version. If you keep saying no, people are going to stop asking. So it is important to invest time and to invest love and sometimes money into those dynamics. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Not Your Average Culture podcast. This week's episode falls under the lifestyle category. And I'm super excited to continue the conversation around money. So for those of you who have been tuning into my podcast this year, you know, one of my personal goals has been to create an emergency fund for myself. And I will say through the help of one of Aaron's books and a ton of other things that I have been trying out this year, I was able to successfully meet that goal and I actually doubled it. So I am super excited about bringing on today's guest. I'm looking forward to hearing her story, sharing it with you all. She's also going to give some tips on how to curb impulse spending and a little bit of advice around how to have those conversations, get comfortable and confident about having those finance talks with friends, family, whoever. And so I'm super excited for you all to hear this episode. Another thing that I want to plug is we are doing a giveaway. So you have to stay tuned to the very end to find out the instructions on how to participate in the giveaway. And the author has decided to share some more goodies with you all. So we talk about that towards the end of this episode. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hi, Erin. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm so excited I get a chance to finally chat with you. Me too. (laughs) Thank you for joining me. And I wanted to um, share with you this little story of like how I first learned about your books and who you were and all of that. And so um, at the beginning of this year, when I was first on my um, journey to getting a better relationship with money, I came across your book, The Broke Millennial. And I felt like it was calling me off the shelf. <laughs> I was like, I was like in this whole process where I'm like, you know, I want to be a responsible young adult. I want to get on top of my finances. And I just felt like the title of the book, I felt like it was just like calling me out specifically. And I picked it up. And you know how like when you first get a book you just like browse the first few pages to see if Mm -hmm. you want to purchase it and I'm telling you when I when I first picked up your book I did not put it down and I was like laughing and I was surprised that I was like laughing because I'm like this is a finance book it's 
this should not be funny. Like I was not expecting that at all. And even um, like on my way home, I was reading your book on the train and there was a lady that was sitting next to me and she stopped me and she was like, oh my goodness, like I know the person who, who wrote this book. I can't remember if she said if she was your old roommate in college or close friend. Where do you live? Um, I stay, I work out in the Bay Area. Right now I'm um, visiting family in Chicago, but I live in Bay, live and work in Bay Area. Was her name Alex? That sounds familiar. Because I went to high school with a girl who she told like my best friend from high school. That's how I got back to me. She's like, I saw a girl reading your book on the train. And I'm like, maybe this is it. Maybe that's what I know she's in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, because literally when I um when I was reading it, she was like, Oh my goodness, I'm gonna text her right now. So that probably is the same. <laughs> the same person. And so, um, as I was reading your book, I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, are you like funny in real life? Or are you just a funny writer? I'm like, I have <laughs> well, pressure, show. pressure now to be funny on the podcast. <laughs> I will admit, I think I'm a funnier writer than I am IRL. However, I think it's situational. So we'll see what comes up. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, well, before I go down a rabbit hole of just expressing to you how much I enjoyed that book. Um, can you first start by sharing a little bit about like who you are, what it is that you do and things of that nature? You know, I have been quote unquote broke millennial. I started in 2013. I still have not crafted the perfect elevator pitch. <laughs> oh, I'm Erin Lowry, author of now three part broke millennial book series. So it's First one is just Broke Millennial, the one you found. Stop scraping by and get your financial life together. Then Broke Millennial takes on investing. And December 29th, 2020, Broke Millennial talks money, script stories, and advice to navigate awkward financial conversations. And all of this started as BrokeMillennial.com. Truly, if we're being honest with ourselves, BrokeMillennial.wordpress, because I was too cheap to buy the domain name originally. (laughs) And I often get asked like what inspired you to start it. And other than feeling like a broke millennial myself, because my first year in New York, I've moved here in 2011 after graduating college. So I'm 31 for those trying to do the math. (laughs) And I was working three different jobs and I earned $23,000 roughly my first year here. And yeah, that hurt but I felt in control. And that to me was a really big part of the takeaway is that I had grown up, fortunately, in a family that talked about money a lot. So I very like I knew how to handle my money, even when I didn't have a lot of it. And as we all know, what you grow up around is normal. And you kind of think that that's how everybody else lives their life. And it quickly became apparent to me in adulthood that not everyone feels that way about money. And it sounds so stupid now, because duh. But I also knew a lot of people who came from a lot of family wealth or were even getting financially supported by their parents that also were just incredibly stressed out about money. Also because their parents got to dictate the terms of their lives because their parents were supporting them. And I just had this idea, one, I really, I missed writing and I wanted to get back to writing and I knew myself enough to know I needed a topic. And if I was going to stick to it, there had to be a theme. And after having a conversation with a friend of mine, about her financial situation and how it was stopping her from pursuing some of her dreams, 
it really made me think like, wow, maybe I can just share some of the funny things that have happened to me, some of the things that my parents taught me and also how I'm surviving in New York on not a lot of money and we'll see what happens. And that was really the inception of all of this. I never thought it would turn into a full-blown career, never thought it would turn into me writing a three-part book series with Penguin Random House, but here we are. And the most recent book to me is like the truest culmination of all of this work because it's all about how to talk about your money. And for years, I have started to notice that you can have it all together. You can have the emergency fund. You can be maxing out your 401k. You can be spending in total alignment with your values. You're like checking off that gold star to personal finance them. But if you can't talk to other people and if you can't set boundaries with people and if you can't have open, honest communications about money, it's going to go sideways real fast. Yes. Like, oh my goodness, that is so true. And within this year, I kind of had that same like awakening moment. Like I need to learn how to talk about this, the terminology and things of that nature. And actually speaking of emergency fund, cause that's what started this whole um, journey. Can I share with you one of my favorite quotes from the first book, the, the broken millennial book? Yeah. Um, you said you're not to touch the emergency fund unless it legitimately qualifies as an emergency. And no, Beyonce dropping a secret album and announcing a pop-up concert nearby does not count as an emergency. And I felt like, oh my goodness, like this is like the accountability friend that I've always wanted to just have around me to just be like, look, you are not buying those Beyonce concert tickets because we all know that random things pop up. And although like this year, since we have all had to like stay inside, it has been like a blessing and a curse because normally like, you know, after work, if you live in like a big city, like a New York or San Francisco, there's that happy hour after work and people are inviting you. But if you kind of just have your book, to remind you and tell you to, hey, stay on top of the financial goals that you make for yourself, along with just um, the predicament that we're in. It kind of helps you stay on track to it. Um, but something I want you to speak more about is, I know you said you grew up in a family where um, talking about money is comfortable or it's just something that's normal, but have you always had this relationship with money where you just felt confident about it? Did you study finances in school? Like what? Yeah. Tell me more about that. I sure did not. I, <laughs> which I think is an important part of the overarching narrative is I studied journalism and theater in college. Those are what my majors are in. I abhorred math all the way through school. Could not stand it. The only time I was interested in math is if there was a dollar sign in front of it, just <laughs> because it was my money. And I've always just been innately interested in my own finances, if you will. Part of that is tied, I think, to the fact that my parents were very big on the you have to earn the money that you want to spend type rhetoric from a very young age. If I wanted something, you know, and you're a kid and you're in the store and you're like, can I have that? And my parents would either say no or, okay, well, you pay for 50% of it. And it was a really interesting way to teach me how to curb impulse spending at a really young age 
because the other thing that they would do is they weren't really big on just handing like allowance money over. I, even at a very young age, had to be figuring out how to hustle and earn money. So, you know, when you're like seven, you don't have a whole lot of job opportunities. And that's why, you know, the book opens with the Krispy Kreme donut story is selling donuts in my mom's yard sale. I used to babysit for the demonic cat that lived next door when the neighbors went out of town. When I got a little older, I had a whole babysitting empire that I created and pet sitting, by the way, that stuff is lucrative. (laughs) And as a dog parent myself, I'm like, yeah, take all my money to wash my dog. (laughs) And that's really what I was figuring out at a young age is like associating the value of a dollar because I would think about how much time it took me to earn that. Did I actually want to spend it on X, Y, Z? But to be honest, there also for me is a little bit of a scarcity mentality that to this day, I definitely battle with. My parents are very frugal people with the exception truly of travel. Like that was the one area where they really would spend and they would, we would stay in nice places. We'd take nice trips. And I very much model that in my today life. Like I really enjoy travel. I indulge in travel. You know, I'll pay to upgrade to comfort if I can or use my miles. Hashtag goals to be flying first class. I do not think it's a waste of money. I think it's totally worth the money. And, you know, that's different. Other people have different value sets. But I'll also tell you, my couch is low-key broken, has been for many months. (laughs) I'm like, eh, do we really need a new one? You can still sit on it until we like fall through it. (laughs) I'm not spending for a new couch. Like a couch is meant to hug you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might be a little bit of a torture device if you sit at the wrong angle, but you just learn. And I, I think though, it's just very interesting how different financial scripts manifest for people as they age. So much of this is coded in how we grew up and how our parents taught us about money. And again, my mom has a pair of Nike gym shorts from the 90s, like that are almost as old as I am, (laughs) that she still wears. And that perfectly encapsulates also the fact that my couch is broken. And my husband will bring it up at least weekly. Like, why are we not getting a new couch? I feel like, well, I mean, we might move. I don't want to have to move it. So let's wait till we see what apartment we're living in next year. I promise if we re-sign this lease, I'll get a new couch. Lord knows I will come up with a reason to not get a new couch if we sign that lease. But I do think that it is important to notice even people who are like quote unquote money experts or gurus or authors, whatever you want to call us, we have our own baggage with money. We have our own emotional relationship with money. I think a lot of what I do, I call it being a financial translator. I know how to take the jargon and simplify it, but that does not absolve me of making money mistakes along the way myself. Yeah. And I do think that there's kind of the special alchemy of helping people find something that connects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's quippy lines like the Beyonce concert, which, by the way, if you have something like that that's really important to you, start a savings fund earmarked for it. I'm not kidding. My husband is a huge Buffalo Bills fan, football. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who do not know, the Buffalo Bills went to four straight Super Bowls in the 90s and lost every single one of them and have not been back since the 90s. <laughs> and like for a long time, didn't even make it to playoffs. A couple of years ago, we started a Bills Dream Fund is what we call it, where he puts like 25 bucks a month into the savings fund. So if they ever make it to the playoffs, 
money is set aside specifically so he can get a playoff ticket. Nice. I think by the time they get to the Super Bowl, we could have box seats, but we'll like cross that bridge <laughs> when we get there. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So this new book that you have coming out, Broke Millennial Talks Money. What can people expect from this book? Like what, what type of person do you look to gravitate towards this book? It is the third in the series, but I don't think that you needed to read two first because two is all about investing. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you're not ready for investing yet. I still think three after one is very much worth reading. One, I was like, just start with the first one. Just start with the primer. There's also some of what's in one. It's very much expanded upon in three because some of what's in one, there is a chapter on negotiating. There is a chapter on getting financially naked and like talking about money with friends. All of that in much more in depth is discussed in the third book. So book three is split up into four sections, Mm -hmm. work, family, friends, and romance. And my goal was to really cover every version of a money talk that you're going to have in all these different areas of your life. And also it's like, Hey, if you're listening, you're like, I'm not in a committed relationship right now. That doesn't apply to me. Well, you probably have friends or family or go to work. So those three apply to you. Or like, you're like, my friend Stitch is on lock. I don't have to worry about this. You got the other ones. And really what it's meant to do is just help you through my stories, through stories of people I interviewed and experts I spoke to, get actual scripts to use in navigating some of these conversations, learn stories, different strategies that people have used. We're not all going to have the same experiences when we go through things like negotiating for a raise or asking our parents if they're going to be our financial responsibility. And also for some people, that's a given. You're like, yeah, I'm from a culture where like, duh, you take care of your parents. And other people are like, I'm sorry, what? I'm going to have to pay for you? You're going to move in with me? I did not know this. So it is really important. And plus, the person you partner with might come from a different background than you do. And that's a whole other conversation. So if you marry somebody who's like, yeah, I'm going to take care of my parents, or like, oh, I have a sibling with special needs that I'm going to need to financially and emotionally care for, Mm -hmm. you need to know how to navigate that conversation. Yeah, it's so many different conversations that are out there. Even like, um, for instance, one that I had, one of my most challenging money conversations I had to have internally with myself was I had a few friends that were having this milestone moment where they were having kids and I wasn't in a place, I live in um, like a bigger city. So I'm on a very strict budget. And I was like, I can't just like, not fly to their baby shower. I can't just not give them a gift. But realistically, if I wanted to stick to my financial goal, I had to have an internal conversation with myself as well as with my friend. And that's not not always easy to do. So I'm wondering for you, like, what was the most um, challenging money conversation you've had to have? And how did you navigate it? Oh, there are a lot. I think on the friends front, though, because that is definitely one of the first that most of us go through. I have definitely had the conversations of either we're taking a group trip and I either don't want to spend as much, or maybe I do want to spend more than somebody else and navigating that. But a really specific one 
that actually caused a lot of turmoil in my relationship with this person is I was in a wedding and I had been asked to be a bridesmaid. I had accepted. And this particular bride kind of went off the rails in terms of what she was asking for from the bridesmaids, in my opinion. (laughs) And it was things like, at the time I was, so I'd have been about 25, 26. I was in, or I had six other weddings to go to that particular wedding season. And I was in two. And I, like, I, I live in New York City. No one gets married in New York City. So you have to travel for all of them. And on top of that, even though this is a great city to have your bachelorette party in, only once have I had somebody have a bachelorette party in New York. So you've got the bachelorette party, usually what you get invited to, engagement party, bridal shower, bachelorette party, wedding. That's potentially four trips mm-hmm. on top of gifts for everything. If you're in the wedding, the dress, the shoes, the makeup, the hair, like you all get it. So I had to be honest when she sent the dress that she wanted us to get, it was a $200 dress with before alterations. It was a floor length gown. I am five, three, never have I ever put on a floor length gown and been like, yeah, great. This works. (laughs) I always have to get alterations. Again, I live in New York. Anytime I've had alterations sent to a dress, usually between $50 and $70. So I emailed her and the maid of honor and said, basically, I'm not asking you to change the dress that you've selected. I just want to have a conversation that, you know, if this is the dress that does put a little bit of a budget limitation on me, I cannot do a bridal shower and a separate bachelorette party and the wedding in addition to the other commitments that I have this year. So which would you prefer I attend, the bachelorette party or the bridal shower? And I got a very condescending note back about like, well, you've never been married, so you don't understand the importance. And I kind of said, I mean, I've been a bridesmaid before, so it's the same level of importance. I got a little flippant. Yeah. By the way, I have been married now and I can tell you I made it very easy on my bridesmaids, including paying for all of their dresses. So it's it's important to set the boundaries. And it's also important to recognize that sometimes there are consequences to that boundary setting. And I, this is my most like dramatic version of what happened. That's really the only time that there's been like long-term damage done to a relationship And also because it just got to a point where like the asks were getting more and more and I basically just started being difficult, which isn't nice to do to a bride. So I acknowledge I have a part in this too. But most of the time with your friends, I think what's really critical is that you give a reason for why you're saying no. Like your friends with the baby shower, for instance, of course they want you there. They love you. You're their friend. They want to celebrate with you. So if you're just like, nah, girl, I'm not coming that's going to be a little hurtful. Mm -hmm. But if you say, I love you and I so want to be with you, but you know, I'm not, I'm coming back home for Christmas and that's already one flight and I'm trying to pay off one of my student loans by the end of the year. So it's just really not in the cards for me to come back for this, but I'd love to zoom in when you're opening presents. And I definitely want to take you out to dinner when I'm home next. You know, Give something else. I also think it always is helpful if you send like at least a small gift if you're declining an invitation. You don't have to, but that is helpful. But giving people a reason is always 
no matter why you're saying no. And like your friend invites you for dinner instead of just being like, no. Hey, I would love to, but I'm trying to insert financial reason here if you want to share it. And then you can provide a counter. Like, would you like to come over for dinner? Or I'd love to do a picnic in the park or whatever it is. My biggest regret of my early 20s is that I said no a lot and did not invest into my relationships as much as I should have. And I always like to share that with people because I think, especially financial experts will kind of fix it on like, set your boundaries. Money is the most important thing. Protect mm-hmm. yourself. Put on your financial oxygen mask first, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All valid. I say some of that. But on the flip side, relationships are really important too. You have to invest into them. Platonic, romantic, family. It doesn't matter what version. If you keep saying no, people are going to stop asking. Yeah. So it is important to invest time and to invest love and sometimes money into those dynamics. And so again, like another fund you can have is a friend fund or a fun fund and put a little bit of money aside. So sometimes you can go out and do the fun things with your friend. And it's not always like movie night at my house. I'm making popcorn. Sometimes like, yeah, let's go out to the fun thing you want to do. Yeah. I feel like that was lovely and like just a beautiful explanation because Um, I'm still navigating my 20s and sometimes um, within my money journey, I'm just like, nope, and I'm not explaining to you why, but I think it's so important. Like you said, like we have to still maintain relationships and just talk to people and let them know what you're going through and let them know what you're working through. So I think that is such a valid point and I'm happy that you brought that up. So, And sometimes people will bring offers to you if you share what's going on. And I'm not saying that you have to share your full debt burden number with Mm -hmm. them. But if you're honest and say, hey, I'm trying to pay off some credit card debt from my early 20s and some student loans that I still have, and I can't always afford to go do the things you guys want to do, you'll be surprised how often your friends are like, okay, you want to go for a hike? You want to, like, they'll start to counter themselves faster if you share, as opposed to them being like, why doesn't she come play with us? Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. And I feel like now, because we've all been forced to stay inside, some people are a little bit more mindful of finding free activities or alternative things to do. So that's such a good point. Um, Moving along to another question that I have for you is, so I noticed all of your books, they start with the title Broke. Was that a publisher's decision? Is there a story behind that? Um, What made you make all of your books start with the theme of like broke at the bold and at the top? So Broke Millennial was the existing brand when the book series started. So Broke Millennial, typography wise, I don't know why Broke and Millennial are two different fonts on the book cover. That was a design decision, (laughs) not mine. Uh, Really, it's like broke millennial, but it does on the books look like broke millennial. So, you know, that's a design choice. But truly, it just had to do with the brand. It's called broke millennial. I often get referred to as broke millennial. I am no longer broke. Yay me. (laughs) But I think at some point, yes, there will have to be an evolution. We don't want to be like, Broke Millennial tries to figure out how to retire. So (laughs) that will be down the road. But for now, it really is just sort of the the name of the series is Broke Millennial. And then it's 
whatever thing you're trying to achieve. So get it together, invest. And I, part of the reason I liked sort of the kitschiness of like broke millennial takes on investing because I think, especially when you're still paying off student loans, a lot of people still feel broke, even though you're probably beyond that point. It just still kind of feels like you're there. And there are ways, whether it's investing in retirement accounts or taxable accounts, that it still can make sense to be investing, even if you're not like, yeah, I have got it all together. I'm making a six-figure salary and have no debt. You don't have to wait for that point. Yeah, that's real. Um, from personal experience as an author, were there any myths you encounter or something you learned about yourself during this process? Myths about being an author? Yes. Well, you know, funnily enough, I actually was interviewed recently and a comment got made by the interviewer like, oh, I had a scarcity mindset that authors make no money. And I do think that's a very prevalent myth that it's either like, you don't make anything or you're JK Rowling. Like, don't <laughs> worry, there's middle ground. And I do think it's important for people to know you can make money off of this. There are different ways to go about it. Traditional self-publishing, I am traditionally published, so it is a different experience, but you can make an advance. And then if you earn out the advance, you can make royalties. So my first two books, every six months, I get a check. So that is a really nice feeling. Now, is it retire me rich? Heck no. <laughs> it is like, hey, this is nice. So I would say, particularly for people interested in more of like the self-help genre, mm-hmm. I think it's a little easier to make money there. Fiction can be a little bit harder. Uh, however, romance novels I hear can net you quite a pretty penny. So if you want to get into self-publishing and make money, romance novels, that's my recession plan <laughs> to write those. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And my last question for you before I turn it over to the culture challenge round is what keeps you going and inspired? Ooh, that's a tough question. What keeps me going truly is the community that I've built. And I do an Ask Me Anything every Wednesday on Instagram and getting questions, having people bring their money, sometimes problems, sometimes just queries, sometimes celebrations is really inspiring. And also, you know, I really love getting the messages from people like your book helped me. And then you know, I learned how to invest. I paid off my debt. I built an emergency fund, particularly heading into the pandemic. The number of people that reached out, they're like, I got your book just in time that like I could navigate through this without it being like a full-blown crisis was really, really meaningful. And it's also been really encouraging how many people I've seen it inspire, like start their own version of whatever broke millennial means to them, or like they've either started like a YouTube channel or a podcast or writing their own blog or sharing on Instagram or just starting a club with their friends of accountability buddies. And just seeing the message get shared that way is so inspiring. I will say that definitely reading your book, I, I'm one of those people. I picked it up right before we went into this and I was like, Hey, like I'm going to hit the ground running. I'm going to start an emergency fund. And I met that goal. And I'm so proud of myself. And I was like, wow, like this was game changing for me. So I can definitely be a person that can attest to like this 
stuff works. And it feels like you have a friend that's like holding you accountable. I'm telling you like everything, it's a few things in there that are so relatable and so real that I was like, I can't wait to read this next book that you have coming out because it's, it's just very down to earth. And so I appreciate that. Well, thank you. So we are going to move along to the culture challenge, which is um, a little section that I like to include inside of my podcast, which is geared toward providing listeners with a fun call to action and takeaway. So are you ready? Let's do it. (laughs) What is one thing that you have observed that has become a common trend amongst people that you would like to challenge people to do or think about differently for one week? This is harder in the pandemic because people don't take cash right now, but I am going to say in normal times when people will accept cash, I would challenge you for one week to do two things, a combination of a cash diet and tracking every penny budget. And what I mean by that is, first of all, it has been proven that we spend more money when we swipe plastic. We're just not as connected to our physical currency when we swipe a credit card or a debit card, whatever it is. So for one week, take out in cash the amount of money you would normally let yourself spend in that week and pay for everything in cash and see what happens. See how quickly it starts to dwindle down. But in tandem, what I want you to do, and you can still do this without being able to do the cash diet, for one week, usually I like to say a month, but at least one week, write down every single purchase you make and more importantly, what it was on. So not just the amount, the actual item that you purchased or the service that you purchased. And I always say to do this because you can then go back and look through everything that you spent money on, particularly if you're someone like me that like optimizes credit cards and you know, not everything is all in one easy, smooth place. It gives you all of this data about how do I spend my money? And is this actually in alignment with a, how I thought I was spending my money or B, what I think or say I value. And let me tell you, I'm not at all coming for your lattes because I actually budget to buy lattes. This is not a like, don't waste your money on things like that. This is a like, no, like truly, what do you value? And are you spending properly in alignment with that? And there's an example I give in my book where my old roommate, she used to just buy, mindlessly would leave her office to go for a walk and go to Starbucks and she would buy bottled water. Like she wasn't even buying a latte. She would buy bottled water, just like get out of the office. And she was spending like 60 bucks a month on water. <laughs> it was just a mindless habit she had built as an excuse to leave the office. Then she just started going for a walk. So it's things like that that you might notice. A secondary challenge, if you don't want to do either of those, print out six months worth of bank and credit card statements and color code highlighting what you've been spending your money on to really get a sense of like, am I right in thinking how much I spend on eating out, other entertainment things, savings, investing, have my utility bills gone up in a way that I wasn't paying attention to? Like all of these things, where do you really know where your money is going? And that is a really helpful exercise to see if you do or if you don't. Yeah, it's like I I tried that in the beginning and it's like, wow, I put myself on blast when I was like highlighting the things that I was spending my money on. When you like really sit down and look at it, I was realizing that I was eating through my whole paycheck, like literally just swiping away to just fast food restaurants. And like, wow, this is 
eye-opening, eye-opening. So my next question for you is, what general advice or resources can you share with us that can be useful for someone interested in building a more comfortable relationship with money or just getting serious about their finances? Of course, your books, but what are other things, podcasts, resources, websites, or anything that are out there that will be useful for anyone? This is going to sound counterintuitive. Reddit. And I say that because there's a personal finance Reddit. There's also like any community you can think of in terms of personal finance, like getting debt-free, investing, fire, like those all have their own threads. But the personal finance Reddit, sometimes people troll and are mean, but truly it's a very interesting look into collectively advice that people are giving and getting. Now fact check it all before you take any of it. But I do think that's a really interesting way to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what is going on. I also really recommend that you consider how well you, or not how well, but how you enjoy learning. Like, do you love consuming podcasts or do you prefer to watch people? Do you like reading or is it really more like you just want to hear people chatting and then focus in on what some of the options are in those categories. So like, podcasts compared to YouTube videos, compared to the blogs, even Instagram. There are so many great people to follow on Instagram. And you can also search hashtags that align with what you're interested in seeking out. Trying to think top of my head. I always hate suggesting actual names and people because there's so many. and I feel like I'm going to forget some like big people that I love. But for both like podcast and Instagram, Miss Be Helpful is really wonderful. Journey to Launch is really great. The Bajanista and Brown Ambition as a podcast is really good. I also love the kind of like geekier stuff like Planet Money. If you want some like fun entrepreneurial inspiration, Business Wars is a really great podcast to listen to. And oh my goodness, there's just so many. They're like, come ask me on an ask me anything. I will have a lot to say about some of my fave people because there's just like this huge list of all these people that I love. (laughs) I hate having to do call outs. (laughs) And oh, use this time to shamelessly plug yourself. How can people get in contact with you, stay connected, all the things? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Broke Millennial Blog. I'm on Twitter at Broke Millennial. The website is brokemillennial.com. And then my books are available wherever books are sold. And do not forget your local library. They are there as well. And if they're not, you should request it. And if you're going to buy the book, I would encourage you to shop local at your local bookstore, especially right now due to the pandemic. Absolutely. And my last question I have for you is, if we didn't need money to function in this society, what else would you be interested in writing or talking about? Mm, well, my big dream has nothing to do with writing. Welcome back to that question. <laughs> my big, big dream is I want to open, uh, I would call it Love Bug Farm, and it would be like a retirement home and hospice for senior dogs that I want to rescue out of kill shelters, especially ones that have ailments. My first dog I ever adopted was a senior with a congenital heart issue, and he lived, mm-hmm. I had 
three great years with him, but I just would love to be able to give that life to some other dogs. So that is my like future dream. Then there's this whole like extended where like, I have a coffee shop that's on the land that like we can host events and all these like community activities. It's a whole thing. <laughs> From just the writing perspective, I really, I love talking about TV, pop culture, and then also just culture in general. I love defending things that people find it bizarre that I'm interested in. Like I will fight over how ingenious the Kardashians are, problematic as they may be. Those women are badass business women and you can't take that away from them. I am so obsessed with Real Housewives. Almost all the franchises. I can go real deep on many, many of the Real Housewives conversations. And I like I think it's very interesting how television has evolved, how we used to communicate how it crosses so many cultures, both in our own country and outside of our country. And I grew up as an expat kid living in Asia for a good chunk of my childhood from the ages of 10 to 18. So a lot of what I learned about American culture was through the lens of television because I wasn't living here. So I think that the confluence of all of those things, I would love to spend time kind of examining and writing about and what does it mean to kind of grow up in this other environment and come back and what like all of that culture in general on a very ambiguous but broad scale just fascinates me yeah it it is fascinating and it's it's also um fascinating that so many people grow up and learn through reality tv like I had a friend I went to college with he knew no English and he learned all of his English through uh, reality TV and rap songs. And it was just so <laughs> funny. It was so funny because all of his references, I would be like, what do you, how do you know this? And he was like, yeah, I, I learned all of my English through reality TV and, um, music. So, yeah. And I agree with you with the Kardashians. They are some marketing geniuses. And as much as people don't, always agree with them. I think that they are very business minded women. So on that note, they definitely (laughs) are. And in terms of a podcast recommendation, there's one, I think it was the one plus one podcast. That's all about the rise of Kris Jenner and how she kind of created all of that. And it's really an interesting look at starting all the way from the beginning when she married Caitlin, formerly Bruce and how she kind of revamped his career at the time all the way through now with like it, the podcast came out a little bit after Kylie started her line and how that sort of all worked out. Wow. I'll definitely have to look at that as well. I will love, love, love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Is there any last thing that you want to leave with listeners or share with people? Well, I will say if you do pre-order the book, which comes out December 29th. So if you get it before then, send me an email with proof of purchase to team at brokemillennial.com because I have a lot of pre-order goodies that I am sending people. So you'll get a are you your parents' retirement plan checklist? So a way to navigate that conversation, a prenup discussion guide, Mm -hmm. as well as an exclusive bonus chapter that's actually all about networking and how to network without it feeling like slimy and insincere and gross. 
Nice. So you'll get lots of goodies if you pre-order. I love that. So there you have it, everyone. This concludes this week's episode. I hope you found something valuable to take away from our conversation. And for those of you all who are considering ordering her book, I hope you find some natural ways to approach conversations about finances. It's definitely a valuable skill to have. And so for those of you who stay tuned to the very end, so that way you can find out the details on how to enter into the giveaway, I'm gonna share with you all three simple instructions for how you can be submitted to participate in the giveaway. And so what's included in the giveaway, it will be a copy of her book, her newest book, which will be dropping December 29th. And I'll also include in a few other surprise goodies as well. So if you're interested in entering, here are the instructions, please, Follow me on Instagram at Chardonnay underscore Mason. That's C-H-A-R-D-E-N-E-Y underscore Mason. Follow the Broke Millennial blog on Instagram. And then screenshot this episode, tag the both of us, and let us know what was your biggest takeaway from this episode. And... Just let us know uh, what you're thinking about this episode or anything that you want to share with us. Definitely tag us and screenshot it and share it in your story and let us know. I'll be keeping a catalog of all the entries starting now from the day that this podcast has aired all the way up until December 29th. You can follow the both of us and then tag us in your story and let us know your thoughts, what you're thinking, anything that you want to share related to finances. This is your time to start opening up that dialect and getting comfortable with talking about finances. And what better way to do it than to share with your friends and family on social, the types of things that you are listening to and things that you're interested in. So that's all I have for today. Till next time, peace, love, and everything in between. I'm out. For full details on the giveaway instructions and other things mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, All you have to do is click details and the show notes will be listed below.